This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris. Oh boy, do I have a big treat for you today. I'm going to play a little clip, not a little clip, we're actually going to go into it a little bit, and we're going to listen to our old buddy, Mr. President Obama, gracious with his orating genius, and I mean that. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, watching him, there's got to be names for these techniques. I had a theory that uh, he had his way of speaking kind of was hypnotic. And I have a friend who's a hypnotist and he said that is exactly correct, that he in essence was was hypnotizing people as he spoke. Uh, I never got a chance to follow up on that to really get a little deeper into that conversation. But based on the effect, certainly seems plausible. But I'm going to walk you through, uh, we're going to really, really deconstruct the Obama interview. I forget the name of the podcast. They're going to say it here. It's a bunch of his his cronies. But the headline was the funniest part on this. They said that uh, that Obama uh, complained. Uh, Obama takes a swipe at his own party. That's the headline. Complaining that Democrats are buzzkills, which you know is really hip and fascinating, right? And pushing back, you know, that he can kind of relate this Democratic Party to the average white guy again, who's just been nothing. This straight white guy has just been, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe we went a, maybe we're a little hard on the, on the straight white guys. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't think that's what he was saying. Not exactly, but kind of, right? He's speaking politically. This guy's a, a real politician. But uh, this whole this whole scene is very funny. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? I'm John Levin. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Dan Fine. Let's. Uh, I want you to get the full effect of their their warm welcome here. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Levin. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Pod Save America. That's the podcast. How could I forget the most liberal leaning uh, podcast on the planet? And here's our interview with President Barack Obama. Well, welcome back to Pod Save America. Thanks for doing this. It is great to be with you guys. Good to see you. All right. So, this whole scene is uh, is is so phony. So, for one thing, uh, I don't know uh, these other two guys, but I'm pretty sure that every single person at this table is gay, including Obama. And what do I base that on? Uh, and why does it matter? Well, uh, for one thing, they seem to have this kind of secret handshake. Now, these guys have all worked together, and that's what kind of makes the introduction even kind of funny. And Obama's got his cup of coffee here, and he's in his suit, and they're in this uh, this uh, formal room with a, a table with a cover on it, and they've all got their microphone. Oh, it's good to be here with you guys. And they all seem kind of stoned to me, to tell you the truth. Uh, but why do I say they're all gay, including Obama? Well, what did you not see with Obama? There was no allegations of any, no women in his past at all. 
actually. I guess it was just uh, Michael, uh, and that was it. I think he's getting. No, we're going to start with the midterms. We're gonna start, of we're course. Getting, we're getting serious here. Yes. So these midterms, are ha- like 2010, are happening in, we would say, a suboptimal economic environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suboptimal. The, 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 the economy, the worldwide economy is crashing. The fiat money is crashing. Uh, what, what would you say with this election cycle? A suboptimal economy? <laughs> But sort of unlike 2010, Democrats have a handful of pretty powerful arguments that seem to be moving voters about who Republicans are. Right. On one hand, you got a bunch of big lie believing insurrectionists. You can so that's one argument. Right. Another argument is about extremism on abortion, gay marriage, contraception, et cetera. Right. And then also Republicans who want to get to, back to Congress to cut taxes for the wealthy, pay for it by cutting Social Security and Medicare. You're about to get out on a campaign trail. So that whole argument, you know, if that's the Democrat talking points right now, uh, which it's not. I don't know where this guy pulled this out of thin air. They're not talking about these things. Uh, this is just the, the things that the Republicans are pushing on. Maybe that's what he's saying, that these are the, the things that the, uh, the, the, the Republicans are using uh, against Democrats. Either way, he's asking Obama, you know, is there any way you could package that into one concise message? Like anybody sitting around thinking in these terms or talking um, like this. Do you think there's a way to sort of weave those things into one narrative about the stakes in this election? Well, look, I think the first and most important issue is are we going to uh, preserve and hopefully strengthen our democracy. That's sort of a baseline uh, question. And uh, I believe that given how at least Republican officials have behaved, they increasingly um, are willing to subvert basic democratic procedures, right? Like, let's count votes. So let me, first of all, this is fascinating what's happened here in this this little piece of propaganda. You know, they walk into this room, they act like they've never seen each other before, like this is some kind of, uh, you know, it's very uh, scripted, right, very played out, very edited. You can see that clearly in the video. And whatever, most, most of these things are, and it is what it is, I guess. So then this guy asks this bizarre question, you know, how do you even answer that? You know, he's got these these very broad, sweeping, different three different ideas, and, and how would you tie all that together? What? I don't know, dude. What are you even talking about? And Obama, the master deflector, which is necessary. You know, uh, I won a, um, a speaking contest for impromptu speaking, and what you have to do is you go up on stage and. Uh, you don't know what they're going to ask you or what they're going to give you, and you got to speak about it for, um, I don't know, two minutes or two and a half minutes or something like that. And it's a fantastic way to test your speaking skills. Well, let me tell you how you do that effectively. It's very simple. You just need to know how to transition from one topic to another very quickly, easily, even when asked a question. 
you know, who are you voting for in this election, Chris? Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, with he- heating oil prices the way they're, they're, they're going up, I think that the issue affecting people right now is that the cost of heating is something that you can't get away from. You might be able to eat a little less. I suppose you can cut back the thermostat, but what are you going to do? Heat a little less? You're, you're dependent on the weather. Next thing you know, we're having the conversation that I want to have. And Obama did that, does that very effectively, as would anybody who's, who's able to, to handle a, a conversation like that. Uh, I think uh, Trump sometimes needs to do a better job of that. Don't you need to get sucked into the snow, sniper fire. Don't let them d- define the, the narrative. You define the narrative. You're going to ask me some kind of bizarre question. Let me tell you what I want to talk about. So Obama does that. And what is it that he wanted to talk about? Republicans subverting elections. We'll get to that in a second. But what I want to talk about, too, I never noticed this before. He's got the Rachel Mancow mannerisms, the upside-down smile. You know what I'm talking about? Where she drops the, the, the pout, you know, and, and there's some Republican officials, pout, and uh, the raised eyebrows and the, and the pause. So you get the, the raised eyebrow and the upside-down smile and the pause. And you, some Republicans, frown. Right, and it just just this overemphasis. It's just weird to me, a weird way of talking. I don't know, but then he's making this this point to Republicans let's, that are the let's problem. Let's make sure that people are allowed to vote. Let's make sure that uh, whoever gets the most votes has the most seats, and that uh, if they get the most uh, votes in Congress, that you can pass laws. Right. Basic stuff like that, they don't increasingly seem to believe in. And and so that's the sense of urgency that I have. Now, I think for the average voter out there, we can talk about specific issues that are important to them. And this has been a long-term battle that we've been having between Democrats and Republicans. And that is, do we create the kind of economy that gives everybody a fair shot and that... Uh, grows the economy in a way that is good for not just a few, but the many. And the great thing that I think we have going for us is is that even with really slim majorities, what we've shown is is that uh, we can deliver. You know, the Biden administration has accomplished a lot. You know, you've got a historic infrastructure bill that's going to help rebuild America. When's that going to happen? Jobs all across the country. You've got uh, uh, inflation Control Act that has lowered prescription drug prices, has made sure that uh, health care is even more affordable through the ACA, that is looking at lowering energy costs. You've got a gun. Is looking at lowering energy costs. Trillions of dollars in spending for free prescription. What kind of free prescription drug program is that? Right? It, is, it was an inflation reduction New Green Deal. Bill, that is the first major piece of gun safety legislation that we've seen in 30 years. What did they pass with um, the gun safety legislation? You know, across the board, what we've seen is, is that when Democrats have a working majority or even a really slim majority in Congress, um, they can make people's lives better. And so. Listen to that claim. How, they ought to, the Republicans ought to be taking that claim 
and parading it around. The, given given a majority, Democrats can make people's lives better. You better take a good look around and see exactly how they've made people's lives better. I don't hear anybody talking like that. It's unbelievable. And if, I don't know if you caught it where he was talking about uh, uh, voting reform. And then he says, you know, and then maybe maybe we can talk about the issues that the, that the voters want to talk about. And so they I, don't care what the voters think. You know, if you combine the the deep concerns about our democracy with the concrete accomplishments that uh, this administration has been able to deliver because we had uh, a narrow majority in in both the House and the Senate, uh, that should be enough to inspire people to get out. Now, of course, it should. There's one last. You should should just be wanting to vote Democrat. Been on a lot of people's minds, and that's Dobbs, right? The overturning of Roe versus Wade, because what that also indicates is that a lot of rights that we've taken for granted, one one through enormous struggle uh, and uh, mobilization uh, over the last 40, 50 years, those aren't rights that we can take for granted. You know, if, if Roe versus Wade can be overturned, then it's, it's likely that a significant part of this Supreme Court is less concerned about issues of privacy and, and personal freedom generally which means that LGBTQ rights can be at risk. It means that um, you know, basic uh, precepts about you know, the state staying out of how we think about family and relationships, that those are all called to question. So this is fascinating what he's saying there. And this is even, uh, this is a horror. I don't know about you. I'm watching this whole thing. He looks like he's falling asleep. I don't know why anybody would want to listen to this. Uh, I'm actually not going to play any more of him talking because I don't know how we can stomach that. Um, But he's basically saying that he disagrees with the Supreme Court that these should be matters of states' rights, that it's not up to the federal government to decide whether or not there should be uh, gay marriage is allowed or not. Now, you get into a particular problem if – some states are allowing it and some states aren't. You, you know, are those uh, marriage licenses recognized in different states? I don't know what happens as a result of that kind of thing. But the Supreme Court is saying that these are rights for the states and the federal government has no business taking these rights. Obama, you know, with his, his uh, dog whistle in there about mobilizing and, you know, well, here we go. But more Black Lives Matter. If we don't get our way, then we'll take it to the streets. And somehow that's a peaceful protest, and those aren't threats. Uh, it's really amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, so then it's amazing how that interview over an hour, uh, and I have the link in the show notes, you can check it out, that gets put out that he criticized Democrats. That was the newsworthy piece of all that. None of the rest of that stuff. None of the uh, really unveiling of what the, the real plan is, uh, which is some kind of voting system, is ranked-based voting in New York. Does Barack Obama support that? What, what is he even talking about with the election system? And I don't disagree that there aren't problems. I just don't think that we're having the same conversation at all. At all. Uh, anyway... 
that he he said then that he criticized Democrats and said that they were uh, buzzkill for the where's, where's the bullet? Let me read the bullet points here that they offered. Former President Barack Obama took some shots at his fellow Democrats, calling them buzzkills and lamenting cancel culture in an interview Friday. Obama, speaking to four of his former employees on Pod Save America podcast, said that not being a buzzkill gives him satisfaction. Sometimes Democrats are buzzkills. Sometimes people just want to not feel as if they're walking on eggshells, he said. This is funny to me, that people sitting around talking like this, that anybody gives a hoot what, what, what him and his, his woke buddies think. Obama added that his fellow Democrats should learn from what he felt were his mistakes as president, like being too professional. Like boring, like, like that interview? The former president will spend the last few weeks leading into the midterms stumping for some of those Democrats in Georgia and Washington. In other words, he's going out campaigning, pushing his agenda, uh, very much the party of Barack Obama. And I think people have had enough of it, quite frankly. Even, even, if, even if you want to agree that they've had enough of uh, the Trump party, I think it was uh, Eric Trump was just saying that, that it's not the Republican Party anymore, it's the Trump Party. It's the, the, the Obama Party. All money flows through Obama, I guess. All Democrat money. It's really amazing. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of, of Obama uh, in, in his buzzkill comments? <laughs> I think it's all, um, I don't know, just, it, it, oh, that's what I wanted to say about that. Another thing that he masterfully does in terms of making an argument and, and winning hearts and minds, and that is um, self-deprecating, right? As Democrats, we're not we're not doing very well with the white Christians. and They're feeling that they need to tie stronger ties to their nationalist roots, that means we're failing. We haven't we need to be more open minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Let me let me see when that happens. You know, he'll tell you whatever he thinks that you need to hear and in, in, in other words in order to keep the conversation going in the direction that he wants it to, plain and simple. This is uh, an interesting counter to all that, something that I, I spoke about before. I'm really happy to see, actually, the headline, New Generation of Combat Veterans Eyeing the House Strikes from the Right. Uh, a new breed of veteran. Listen to how this is written. A new breed of veterans, many with remarkable biographies and undeniable sources of her- stories of heroism, are running for the House on the far right of the Republican Party, challenging old assumptions that adding veterans to Congress, men and women who fought for the country and defended the Constitution, would foster bipartisanship and cooperation. At the same time, they are embracing anti-interventionist military and foreign policies that since the end of World War II have been associated more with the Democratic left than the mainline GOP. Uh, interesting, right? And it is interesting how the uh, the Democrat Party has been taken over by the military-industrial complex. And that's because the, the military-industrial complex doesn't care which party's in power. They just know that they need that party to keep make sure that the money keeps flowing. And boy, is that happening big time, right? Uh, 
look at really what's happened. <clears throat> you know, COVID was a huge payout to the pharmaceutical industry, right? And what did they do with it? They made sure that Trump didn't get elected. I'm convinced that that was the money push switch that, that was the deciding factor. When the pharmaceutical companies said they were going to go Democrat and they told Fox News, hey, we, we don't want any more Trump, I think that was the end of it there for the most part. Not, not the only piece, but one big piece of it. And so COVID, it was just a huge, huge giveaway, a huge giveaway to, to liberal cities that needed pension bailouts, all this, co- quote, COVID money. None of it was used for COVID. All these trillions of dollars in COVID spending. Go look around. Tell me what was spent on COVID. They continue the, 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 this uh, declaration of emergency, even though that um, Biden said that COVID is over. How does, how does that make any sense? How does that add up? How do you reconcile any of that? Uh, and then this, 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 uh, this political prisoners that we talked about over the past couple of days, I've said many times, I think for combat veterans, there's a great moral dilemma. How do you sit back and watch this polluting of our elections and to listen to Obama speak the way he does? And it's Republicans and Democrats. They're thick as thieves. I heard uh, Teddy Daniels, who was a candidate for lieutenant governor here, Army veteran, got shot in Afghanistan. Big story. You can find him on YouTube. Anyway, I heard him talking about this. And... uh, you know, he, he said a lot of, of controversial things, but I think in this particular case, he got it right. And many others as well, when he said that there's been a failure of, of leadership. Was that uh, the name of that Marine, uh, Lieutenant Colonel or Major, I forget. Remember that guy? He, after the Afghanistan withdrawal? And there's an opportunity for, for veterans to step up. But not all of them have done well politically. And politics, politics is a certain kind of poison, man. You know, you look at John McCain. You look at, uh, what's his name, with the patch. You know, these guys um, respected military backgrounds. But then politically, it hasn't always worked out great. But I do think that there's an opportunity for veterans, combat veterans particularly, to step up that aren't, aren't afraid to bring the fight. But it's a different kind of fight. It's gotten so nasty, so corrupted. I, I don't know how you navigate it, really. Let me change the, the subject a little bit, something a little bit. I talked yesterday about the uh, heating bills doubling. What do you do? What, do you, what, do you, what is your plan to deal with that? What do you have to say about it? But they asked that yesterday. What are you going to do if your heating costs double? Are you worried about it? Anyway, I saw this. I wanted to click on it because it's the kind of thing that interests me. The 10 most neighborly cities in the United States in 2022. And it interests me because my town's not very neighborly. Philadelphia, they say the city of brotherly love. I don't know what where that's found. New York is much friendlier. At least it was. I don't know if it still is. People are just nasty in Philadelphia. People are nasty in the Northeast generally. So what were the 10 most neighborly cities? Number one, they said, was Rochester, New York. That could be. We probably know some people up there. Madison, Wisconsin. I have family out there. Provo, Utah. Anyway, get down here to number nine. 
And, uh, well, number seven, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Number six, Raleigh, North Carolina. Eh, I don't know about that. Number nine. Well, number ten was Des Moines. Interesting, maybe. Anyway, number nine. This is what I say. I lost all respect for the, the rankings here. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I always kind of wonder how do they do this highest rate of charitable giving, highest number of residents who reported volunteering for local organizations. Is that what the litmus test of neighborly cities is? Count me out. Forget about it. Harrisburg is a dump, by the way, in case you're wondering. It's interesting. how You, you see these county seats, these state capitals, and they're really just dumps. Why is that so often? I don't know. It's a weird, weird situation. Because politicians can't get along, they can't they, they can't can't stand win win scenarios. There there's a, a funny part of human nature, by the way. Why is it that people can't agree on win win scenarios? They don't feel that they're winning unless somebody else is losing. It's a real phenomena. That that selfishness. It's beyond selfishness and greed. It's like this desire to see the other side suffer, if you will. If they're not giving something up, I'm telling you, it, it drives the mentality of a lot of people. Maybe that's the the essence of the spiritual war. Uh, D.C. Attorney General opens an investigation into the migrant busing. So, this is, really blows my mind and really speaks to the certainly the dysfunction within our government, whatever side of this immigration and. Uh, busing story you're on, complete dysfunction. Would you not agree? Talk about not being able to work together on on a win-to-win outcome. And so it's fascinating, right, that people that that agree that the border should be protected, you're laughing because you say, well, gee, New York, it's not so fun when you're on the receiving end of it, huh? And so now they get But meanwhile, we're just causing further destruction to our country. You know, and instead of spending resources actually helping anybody, we're bussing these people around and making the problems worse. I would be interested to see if any of those people sent to Martha's Vineyard are actually able to stay there. Not one of them, I'll bet you. They got them out of there quick, didn't they? They're really fascinating, right? Everything's political now. But the other part of this uh, that, that's, that's interesting is that these cities, they created these, these sanctuaries for illegal immigrants, but then they want to use their public resources, which is really a political move, to try and make some kind of criminal complaint in another jurisdiction. Really fascinating. I suppose they'll try and file something in a, in a federal court. And, you know, where there's political influence over that, um, I'm sure that the outcomes will be a lot of what we've seen in the past. But it's really a fascinating story that this illegal immigration is allowed to continue. And instead of working together to actually solve the problem, instead, and part of the problem is that there's a broad disagreement on what to do. There's a lot of people who say, nope, they broke the law. Put them in handcuffs and throw them over the launch them with a with a catapult back to the border, out, no questions asked. And uh, some of it is racially motivated, you know. There there is a, 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 a sphere of that, and that's what fuels people like Obama, 
to make it like that's the point of the, oh, it's because of the racist that this is an issue. No, it's because there's 60,000 illegal immigrants in New York City homeless shelters. And when the city gets to the point where they can no longer handle it, it's going to become the people's problem, right? That's a fact. Racist or not, okay? I don't know. I guess I'm not going to be chalking it up. I'm, I'm not going to be leading any of the most neighborly cities in the United States, am I? The uh, <clears throat> a lawyer who could deliver on Biden's wish to be the most pro-union president, uh, Jennifer Abruzzo, appointed by President Biden and oversees the National Labor Relations Board as general counsel, serves as the country's top labor lawyer. And so uh, her opinions on things carry an awful lot of weight. Starbucks forced to rehire baristas after firing them during a union drive, appropriately so. Isn't it interesting? Starbucks is finding themselves in a real pickle now. All this uh, political money that they gave, they didn't realize what they were giving to. Black Lives Matter destroying their stores, unions. And you wait to see what they want. It's not just about unionizing. They're going to have a list of demands that comes after that. Amazon forced to rehire a warehouse worker it fired in Staten Island who led the first successful union campaign in the company history. The lawyer who helped these uh, workers get their jobs back this past year is Jennifer Abaruzzo, 58, general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board. You know who it is that files that, speaking of, of proving my point about can't handle win-win scenarios, the, the unions are a perfect example of this. Do you know who the, the top uh, filer of labor relations complaints is? It's from the union members against the union. Fascinating, really. I don't know that uh, having a different labor relations attorney, I, I suppose they can harass a, a lot of companies, but they got to be a little careful with that. Because the Democrats start making it too difficult on companies like Amazon and Starbucks. They better start looking at the political clout that those companies now carry. Because it's unbelievable, really. Uh, I wanted to talk about this a little bit, and then maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up a little early today. Uh, Musk has a super app plan for Twitter, and it's super vague. And uh, so the report is, first of all, this story like has gone around and around at a wildfire pace, which I didn't quite understand. Uh, well, how much? Why so much interest? I saw it. Uh, Stars and Stripes, a military publication. Why would why would anybody care about what, what Trump's super app plan for Twitter is, and why does he get all this free publicity all the time? Interesting, right? Anyway. The story is that he wants to turn it into what Facebook is trying to has tried to do, which was to be the main gateway to the internet. And I never really realized this with with Facebook, but they were you know comparing it to Facebook, and the Twitter would be behind in this. But the idea is that you know with with, with Twitter Pay, you could shop and and do everything online, text right, share with your friends collaborate with work, everything you need to do all in one easy spot. Uh, well, there's about a million and one different problems with that, and it's failed. Not only would Twitter be behind, but it's a model that has never really worked out. 
So, and I believe it's the idea behind Meta, probably. You know, all this virtual reality stuff, uh, all of a sudden you end up with very subliminal marketing uh, opportunities. You know, what kind of uh, soda does the person drink? Um, what's on the billboard? All these things can be digitally changed and, and sold. It all becomes valuable real estate. I think problem number one right now is that the advertising is just so completely saturated. But also people don't want to shop on They don't trust Facebook to give them their payment data, and for good reason. It's just not the way users are using it. So I had an, a little different idea on this. And it's something that I thought of a while ago. And there's kind of two parts to this. One is I think it could be a great super app if it brought together your you had an app that brought together posts from all of your social media in one place and that you could push it out the same way. That I think would especially and it has to I would think because you look you always have this expansion and contraction of centralization. Right. When I was a kid, we had one phone company, and then it was Reagan who, who you know, wanted competition was going to reduce prices, and it did for a little while. And, you know, Ma Bell was broken up, and and that ultimately led to Verizon came from that that uh, that foundation. And now, what's happened? You got a couple of big players, and that's it. And I'm sure that that'll even uh, has some likelihood of of. Uh, combining somewhere down there, they leave it at a limit, you know. But you've got a couple of big companies again, it's just kind of the way it works. And I think the same thing with social media. You kind of had the, you had the breakup of Facebook after the election, the breakup of Facebook and Twitter, and you did all these different apps start popping up, and some of them got banned, and there's workarounds on that. Remember uh, what was the uh, Bongino Parlor? Remember Parlor? Uh, what was what was the one that started a MySpace early on? MySpace was great; it's still around. So there's something somebody should bring back: more flexibility to design your own page to make it interesting for people to go go check out your stuff. But my thought for a super app would be to bring together all of your posts. And here's the second part of that: you know, oddly enough, I found that the uh, uh, um, algorithms that I've been so critical of, well, because they're secret mainly, uh, but they really are very effective, uh, almost more effective at knowing what you want than, what, than you know what you want. It's a weird kind of thing with that. Uh, so I like the suggested feed sometimes. But sometimes I just want to see what it is that I signed on to. And I think that if you could have an app that brought you all the all the posts together, and then you could click to say, okay, here's what's trending on Twitter, Twitter. Here's what's hot on Gab. Here's what's hot on and pull it all together. I think that would be an app that that people would actually be interested in and create a far better gateway uh, in terms of you know one place to enter onto the internet. Uh, even though I think that's quite a bit of a stretch, it would probably be the the next best option to do that. I have to say though, all all told. I think the world would be a better place if we did not have social media. I really do. If, if there's anything that's contributed to the rot on a, of the human brain on a mass scale, I really believe that it has to be uh, social media. What are you going to do? Hey, something happened this weekend. I didn't get a chance to tell you. My daughter had a play date with, at, at, at the house of a boy from school. He's got a gecko. 
Yeah, if you want to see his gecko, I'm cold. I'll bet. This is big stuff for a dad, you know what I mean? Hey, listen, God willing, I'll be back tomorrow. Sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.